as well. Hey, it's no surprise by now that this morning we are talking about love, right? The word love. Um, I think that word can just bring many different thoughts or feelings or emotions um, to us, right? And so we have a little, little prop this morning. Thank you, Amazon Overnight Shipping. I love you. I love you. All right. Um, so another thing that I love is, um, you know, crowd participation. And so everyone's like, oh, no, what's he going to do? So I'm going to hand this to uh, a special someone first. When, yeah, there you go. Thanks for bringing our brave. Love you so much. Um, so, no, you got to hold on to it. You're on the hot seat. You're on the hot seat. So um, whoever's holding this, um, first thing that comes to your mind when you think of a heart or what is love? Go. People. Okay. Raise your hand if you're ultra interested in giving, a, giving an answer and Allie will throw you the, the heart. There you go. Who wants it? Who wants it? Miss Ruth, there we go. What is love, Ruth? Oh, your grandchildren and children. I love it. Anyone else? Steve. Jesus, wow, you're good. You've been around the block a few times. You know that answer never fails. All right, anyone else? Anyone else? What is love? Pablo. Oh, nice snag. Forgiveness. Nice. Anyone else? Don't be shy. Oh. Uh-oh, Ray. Incomprehensible. Yeah. Incomprehensible. Webster's. There you go. Anyone else? Any final takers? What is love? Anyone brave? Oh, in the back. All the way to Miss Jan. Get your hands ready, Miss Jan. And everyone else. <laughs> oh, nice. Nice. There you go. Football. <laughs> I was going to say, you kind of catch like the Dallas Cowboys receivers. Oh, ouch. <laughs> That's a good thing this year. That's a good thing. They're doing better. There you go. <laughs> mm. Awesome. Anyone else? He is Tony. All right. Throw her back up here, Miss Jan. Oh, that's nice. You got one? Yeah. All right. Love is calling out your friends. Love is calling... Tough love, tough love. Dana, you had one. We'll wrap up with Dana here. Discipline. Ooh. Wow, that's biblical. That's not the first one I thought of, but that's good. All right. Yes, thank you. So I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of you um, that weren't brave enough to, to you know, give our, our nice heart here a little squeeze, um, you're having thoughts, right? There's, there's things that are, are kind of rolling around in your mind with what is love. Um, I'm really curious, you know, like we are obviously um, body of Christ here, followers of Jesus. So I'm curious how our answers are different than, because they were really good. Um, I'm, I'm curious how our answers would be different than if you go to a metro area like Salt Lake or New York City and you go around and say, hey, what is love? Um, I'm sure there's some YouTube interviews and stuff you could find, but I'm sure we'd get a variety of things, right? Um, a feeling, an emotion, maybe an attraction or an affection to something or someone. Romance, right? Romance. 
Um, maybe it's just what we celebrate on Valentine's Day. Um, this looks like something uh, I would have gotten for my girlfriend in fifth grade, right? Like, oh, it's the best. Thank you. Um, I did have a girlfriend in fifth grade, by the way, so it did not end well. I don't recommend it. Uh, maybe it's just something we tell our significant other. Um, I love you, right? Those are powerful, powerful words. Um, treating people with kindness, generosity, liking something a lot. Like you like it, next level, you love it, right? Maybe it's passion or commitment or acceptance of something or someone, right? There's so many definitions. But I think something we haven't talked about yet, and it may not be something we explicitly think or say, but underneath all of these answers is a fundamental desire within all of us to experience love, to be loved, right? That's a fundamental thing made in the image of God, who is love. We want to be loved. God created us this way. Some of us, you know, may have a tougher skin to crack than others, uh, but underneath, I think we're really all teddy bears who have a really soft, squishy heart, right? Who we want to be loved, we want to know love. We might hide that at times, but I think that's a fundamental desire that the God who is love gives us. The question is, where do we find it? Where do we find that type of love? Speaking of types of love, the, the Greek language actually kind of defines four different types of love. We'll throw those up on the screen there. Um, you might be familiar with these, maybe not, but, but there's kind of four types in the Greek language. The first one is eros. That's not Ray and Dolly's dog, um, but it's eros, meaning romantic or sexual love. All right, it's, uh, it's not found anywhere in the New Testament, but, but you're probably familiar with, with Eros love, romantic, sexual love, right? Um, number two, philia, okay, um, or philia. That's, that's kind of like a brotherly love. So, so friendship, camaraderie, um, obviously Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, right? Um, so you get, you get that. That's actually mentioned, I could find one time in the New Testament that, Philia or philea is used, and it was Romans 12.10, which said, have brotherly affection for one another. All right, number three is storhe, storhe. Um, that's kind of a, a family love, so a relationship with a parent to a child, child to a parent, or a sibling with a sibling. Um, there's, there's a deep affection with it, but in the New Testament, it's actually only used twice, and both times it's in a negative sense. So like heartless or lacking compassion is, is how the New Testament at times uses storhe, love, or lack thereof. But it's a familial love. And then the fourth one is agape. Agape. This is uh, the highest form of love. It's the purest form of love. It is God's, God's love to the world, right? It's, it's again, like we said earlier, God is love. So God is the definition of agape love. It's unconditional, it's gracious, it's selfless, and it's delighting in benefiting the object of that love without anything in return. It's a, I'm going to love you or that person or that thing regardless of if I receive anything in return. So it's powerful. Again, it's the highest form of love. Now, these first three all have their place, right? God um, has designed these as well, right? These are um, God-given things, romantic relationships, uh, friendship, affection for family. These are good. 
we get to experience all of those by God's grace, right? That's, that's really, really awesome. Yet, none of these three are things, um, types of love that we can actually rely on to experience the full extent of what is love, right? They, they have their place, but, but it doesn't quite get us the whole way there. So this morning, we're going to be taking a deeper look specifically into God's agape love. And Scripture is really clear that God is love, and we see this best, best through the life and the death of his son, Jesus. So in order to do this, we're actually going to be covering quite a bit of Scripture this morning pretty quickly, so it's not going to be as in-depth, verse by verse, but we're going to go through a bunch of Scripture. Um, we're going to start in John 13, if you want to get out your Bibles, or it'll be on the screen. John 13, starting in verse 1, and it may feel a little bit more like an Easter message this morning than Christmas. If that offends you, I'm sorry. You can leave. Uh, no, don't leave. It'll be good. It'll be worth your time. But we're talking about some of the events happening specifically at the end of Christ's life and how he revealed true love to us. So John 13, starting in verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So in those first five verses, um, something that jumped out to me right away was that there's this pattern going on of, of what Jesus knew or, or knew of, and then what Jesus did. What he knew always preceded what he did after that. And so a few of those, um, I think it's starting in verse 1. Um, yeah, Jesus knew his time had come to leave the world. This is really, really important. Jesus knew that the very next day, he was going to die on a cross. He was going to be crucified and suffer the ultimate pain and humiliation and endure the wrath of God, his Father, on the cross. The very next day, he knew this suffering was coming. And so what did he do right afterward? It said he loved his disciples to the end. He showed them the full extent of his love. Can you imagine that? Knowing what's coming the next day and then being like, I still got a mission. I got work to do. I'm going to love my friends till the very end. I love that. The second one, second time we see new in there is that the father had put all things under his power, that he came from God and was returning to God. So we see that Jesus is God and and the Father had bestowed all power upon his Son, right? He had come from God. He's going back to God. So what did he do with all that power? He wrapped a towel around his waist and began washing his disciples' feet. And then the third one, Jesus knew that one of his 12 was going to betray him, right? And what did he do? Jesus still washed Judas' feet. 
This was, we could call Judas at that time, like his enemy. We know Jesus loved his enemies, right? And so what Jesus knew helped determine what Jesus did, but not in the way that we might expect, right? You think about these three things that Jesus, um, that it revealed, that he knew at this time, he knew suffering was coming. If I'm, so an example, when I'm sick at home, I am a mess, and Allie knows it. (laughs) She can come up and share some thoughts. I'm a wimp. I am ridiculously needy, right? Like, babe, take care of me. I feel terrible. Bring me some food as she's making dinner for the kids and uh, taking care of them and all the needs that she's carrying the weight of the whole family and I'm in bed, right? Babe, help me. I need you. Take care of me in my suffering, right? Um, Power. Jesus has all power. Naturally, with power, what do we want? We want people to serve us, to worship us. But Jesus didn't say, you guys should be bowing down to me in that moment. He washed their feet. And then the enemy, Judas, like imagine one of your very good buddies says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to betray you here in a few hours, right? Betrayal is, is rough. It's terrible. It'd be natural for me to say, dude, get the heck out of here. But Jesus says, oh, I'm going to wash your feet too. I'm going to wash your feet too. So suffering, power, enemies, These can all be things that distract us from wanting to love. But Jesus doesn't let those get in his way. He's like, I'm going to love you to the very end, regardless of the circumstances that are going on around me. He was so singular-minded. I've only got one day left, and I'm going to pour myself out fully for my disciples. Um, Verses 6 through 10, that happened next. Um, We're actually just not going to read those. You can follow them on the screen. Um, but just briefly talk about those. So this is a detailed conversation between Jesus and Peter. It's very interesting. Um, Peter doesn't want to be washed by Jesus at all at first. He's like, Jesus, don't wash me. Like, you're, you're the Lord. Washing feet is reserved for servants. Like, I don't, I don't want to be washed. Like, you shouldn't be doing this. But then Jesus says, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Then he's like, oh, well, if that's the case, wash my entire body, right? Peter is all over the place, right? Classic. But then Jesus explains that being washed all over, like your whole body, like taking a bath, is actually referring to salvation. So Jesus is saying, Peter, I don't need to wash your entire body. Like, your salvation is secure. Like, you have put your faith in me. Like, you don't need, you don't need that, right now. You're secure. You are saved. You are covered in grace. But to wash the feet is about keeping our walk with God clean. Um, It was kind of like, there's some defilement in your life. There's still some sin. I'm going to wash your feet, one, as a way to serve you, but also just remind you of our communion, our relationship with each other, how much I love you, um, and that this would give you an example to follow as well. So it's more about the the communion, the relationship with the, the foot washing Um, than it was, like the whole body is a salvation, a salvific thing, right? So we'll jump back into it, verse 12. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have sent you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, 
nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So this was very, very radical by Jesus. He's Lord, he's teacher, he's master, right? But he stoops down to wash sinners' feet. And then he kind of says, like, hey, if I'm doing this for you as your master and as your Lord and as your teacher, what's your excuse, right? Do the same thing as I've done to you. You're not too good for anybody else to serve them. Servant leadership, right? I love how the Wearsby Bible commentary says it. He says, Jesus was the sovereign, yet he took the place of a servant. He had all things in his hands, yet he picked up a towel. He was the Lord and master, yet he served his followers. It's powerful, right? So it brings us to our first point. Um, We'll have it up there. Jesus lays down his glory. We've been talking about the theme of glory all month. He lays down his glory so that we can see the full extent of his love. Paul actually describes this really well in Philippians 2. Um, This little section here in Philippians 2 is described as the Christ hymn. And so we're going to read just the first part of it. It says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So we see, um, and and after that it talks about how God, or Jesus is exalted by the Father. Because of his humility and laying down his life, he was then glorified. But Jesus is eternally equal in nature with the Father. On the earth, fully God, fully man, right? Right? Yet he did not grasp, he did not reach for or try to possess an earthly advantage over men. Rather, he emptied himself, he poured himself out as a servant. This doesn't mean that, some people argue, you know, does this mean that God like was stripped of his deity, that he wasn't God for a time? That's not what it means at all. It just means he he decided to voluntarily lay aside that glory for the sake of showing people the full extent of his love. He laid aside the divine privileges, the eternal riches for a time so that we may know the full extent of the world as he goes to the cross for the world. 1 John 4 talks about this in 9 and 10. It says this, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. If you notice in there, like, it's, I'm not really a, an English grammatical guy, but those are verbs, right? Like, God showed his love. He sent his son. He loved. He sacrificed. Love isn't just a word. Love is action. Love is a verb. Love is, I'm going to show you what love really is, agape love. Um, I love that, (laughs) whether it's because we're just lazy and don't want to move it or whatever, but I love that the cross is behind the manger, right, this month. It's powerful, right, Um, thinking about that. um, 
the cross is the backdrop of why Jesus was born, right? He was born to die, born to die. Of course, um, Jesus did amazing things in his life, preaching the good news, healing the sick, miraculous wonders. We don't want to discount any of that. But the main purpose for Jesus' life was to go to the cross. The Father had this, the mystery of God's plan was that Jesus was the sacrificial lamb, right? So the cross was the backdrop of his entire life. And you consider the life of Jesus, born in a manger. Now, we look at that manger and we're like, that's pretty nice. A nice carved um, manger there. Um, could probably put some blankets in there for the baby. But in, in those days, it was more of an animal food trough. And so probably a stone, a stone food trough, probably dirty, right? Um, and, and that's where Jesus was born. Soon after that, he was forced to Egypt as a refugee, as Herod was, was coming for his life to kill him. So they fled to Egypt as a refugee. He was homeless during his public ministry, right? And then he was battered and crucified on a wooden cross. What a life. Nothing to, in the world's eyes, nothing to write home about, right? Plenty was written on it, but that's not a thing that the world is like, wow, look at that guy. He had it all. He emptied himself of his glory, because his mission was love. His mission was love. And he showed that by humble service and sacrifice. Jesus wanted nothing of the world. He didn't want to hold on to the world. The only thing he wanted in this world was the people that he came to die for. Yet, it's so interesting what John says before and after he talks about the cross in 1 John 4. So we just read verses 9 and 10. It's interesting what 7 and 8 and 11 say. It's kind of bracketed by these two verses. Starting at 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. 11. Dear friends, since God loved us, we also ought to love one another. Notice how Scripture repeatedly connects God's love for us to our love for others. Like, when you see God's love, it's always, usually in the New Testament, followed by, now, because of this, love your neighbor. It goes back to what what Jesus, when he was washing the feet, because he knew God's love, he did this. And I think that's what all the writers, especially in the New Testament, are talking about. You are loved. Now you get to love. Um, You get to, um, and this brings us to our next point. Um, Jesus' love must be poured in or known before it can be poured out or given to others. So we're going to do a little illustration here. Um, You know, no illustration is perfect, but I think they can be helpful at times. So if, if anything is true in this illustration... I've got to give, um, I've got to cite my sources and give credit to Mr. Dan and Jason for, for some ideas with this. Um, and if it doesn't make sense or it's theologically incorrect, you can blame me. Um, but we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna do a little illustration here um, talking about what we just mentioned about that key point up there, right? We have to be poured into before we can pour out. All right, so let's get this ready here. All righty. So, 
Let's say that this water represents God's love for us. It's going to start pouring here. All right, John, you're in the splash zone, by the way. So there we go. <laughs> Didn't bring a towel today, so we'll see how we do. All right, so this is John 3.16, right? 1 John 4, for God so loved the world that he sent his son. He poured out his love to the world on the cross. He took on the wrath of God the Father so that we could experience the full extent of God's love. All right, so God's love is never-ending, right? Like, I'm human, so I can't continually pour as I, as I do some of this, but God's love, just imagine this water keeps pouring. It never stops, no matter what, right? Um, and then imagine that this sponge is a person, you or your neighbor, whoever you want to look at. Imagine this is them, right? Okay, um, now, I don't know how often you think about sponges, but they have a specific purpose, right? Cleaning, washing things. They're, they're pretty cool. Sponges are awesome, right? Um, but generally, um, what does a sponge need to be useful? Water, liquid of some sort, right? Um, a sponge needs water to be most effective. Um, but can a sponge muster up water on its own? there's a little bit. Maybe that was from a few days ago. There's a little bit in there. But for the most part, a dry sponge is pretty useless. It can't do it on its own. It can't muster anything up. It needs a water source, right? A sponge can only pour out what's been poured into it. But here's what happens. As God is pouring out his love to the world, it hasn't stopped, it's still going, how often, as people, obviously the sponge doesn't have a free will like we do, but as sponges do, and people, do we often, you know, distance ourselves from God's love? Still pouring, but we distance ourselves, or we get distracted, woo, preoccupied with everything going on out there, right? Sometimes we just run away completely from God's love, and, and we distance ourselves. We separate ourselves from God's love. And oftentimes, because like we said at the beginning, we're all created to be loved, to desire love, we still want it. We still hunger for it. But see what we got here? <laughs> Some vinegar. Because we don't position ourselves under God's love, we find something else that looks like God's love, maybe. Maybe an imitation form, something of this world. And we say, I'll position myself under under that. Maybe it's an addiction. Um, maybe it's something to kind of numb out from, from where you can't experience the truest form of love. Maybe it's this relationship that you're kind of putting your hope in. Maybe it's um, a social media image or human approval or something like that. And so we sit and fill ourselves with things of this world, maybe some of those other forms of love, and expect that to, to do the trick. You pour it out, you're like, okay, yeah. There's some stuff coming out of my life, but then you realize, that's sour. That's no good, right? That is gross. That is disgusting. And so you're pouring out some of this, this bad fruit because you're not filling yourself with the truest form of love. Let's get all of that out of there. That is gross. Ugh. Anyone have gum? Tic Tac? Dolly? 
There you go. <laughs> All right. So we got rid of the vinegar. But Scripture says that as God's love continues to pour, we need to position ourselves directly under the love of God. We need to, it needs to be, our lives need to be saturated with the love of God. Don't run away. Stay right underneath it and experience the never-ending flow of God's love so that we don't muster it up, but God's love has been poured into us and his pure agape love pours out to the world who's also desperate for God's love, right? There we go. It's pretty wet up here. All right. All right, so look at all that godly love that has been poured out. That is the end of our illustration. Thank you, kind servant. Our master is serving us. Wow, look at that, look at that. All right, I got some on the floor there. Okay, so we'll move this out of the way. But again, see the, see the picture there of God's love has to be poured into us before we have anything pure and valuable to give to the world. Now, okay, when I was thinking about that, I started to have some questions, and you might be tossing around some questions with that. Again, don't overthink it. Don't think about, you know, hear what I'm saying, not what I'm not type of thing. But one of the questions that came to my mind was, well, I know many people, good, well-meaning people, who want to have a different faith than I do, or they might not have any faith at all, and yet, they seem to be some of the most loving people I know, right? Like, how does that fit in with, well, you have to know God's love before you have any love to pour out? I think it's a fair question. Um, it seems, it can be kind of offensive or seem exclusive that God would only show love to the world through Christians, right? But that's where I think we need to come back to the different types of love, the four different types. The agape love of God does not come naturally to us. We're sinful, fallen people. So God's agape, unconditional, sacrificial love, um, we're not capable of producing that because it's Christ-like love. If we don't know Christ, we don't have Christ-like love. Sure, all people can have romantic, brotherly, um, love for your family, affection for your family. So billions of people possess those types of, of love, right? But if we are to love as God loves, that agape can only come from its source. Remember, God is love. So in order to have godly love, we have to know God and be poured into. Romans 5.5 5 says that, that this type of love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us when we became his children. Praise God for that. That is why one of the fruits of the Spirit, Galatians 5, is love. It's a fruit of being filled with God's loving Spirit, not something that we muster up on our own. Um, that's why Paul prays this really powerful prayer in Ephesians 3, 16 through 19, to the new believers in Ephesus. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's people to grasp how wide, how long, high and deep, all the different things, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. 
whew, that's powerful. I think we look at that and we say, man, I want that. Like, I want all of that. How do we receive that? What does it look like to be rooted and established in love? Right? Rooted and established. We think of, that makes me think of roots that, that go deep into the soil. Right? Deep roots that, that soak deep. And then when the storms of life come, the different seasons hit, the tree can't be moved. There might be dry seasons, but, but in the springtime, right, whatever, right? Springs back to life because the roots are deep. That is a tree that is planted deeply in the love of God. And then what does it look like to grasp the width, the height, the, the length, and the, what's the fourth one? Um, depth. Thank you. Depth of God's love, of Christ's love. If anyone has the measurements of those dimensions, please let me know and share it with all of us. I would love to know those, right? But Paul is saying we can know um, as much in this life as, as he's going to give us. We can know the fullness of God's love. But then he says, you won't be able to fully understand it, but he's praying that we'll understand as much as possible in this life, right? The word grasp in Greek is actually katalambano, katalambano, which is to take hold of or to take possession of. So again, God's love is a free gift to us, but then what do we get to do? We're the sponge. We get to take hold of that love, put ourselves under that love, take possession of it. I love that. Take possession of it to obtain it. Not because we're working for it, but because we're like, we're getting drenched. We're just receiving it and, and, and letting ourselves be filled with it. And in other words, like, gaze upon and take possession of this never-ending love of God. Let it take deep roots in our hearts and in our lives. We don't have to produce it on our own, so God continually gives more and more and more and more of it. That's good news. That's really good news. That's what gives us hope for this last point. Jesus says agape love needs to be the distinguishing mark of Christ followers. Ooh, okay, so John 13, 34 through 35. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So we see that Jesus has given us the perfect blueprint for love. Right? He showed us. He didn't just talk about it. He showed us. So humility, selflessness, service, mercy, laying our lives down, forgiveness. If you need more examples, check out 1 Corinthians 13. It's loaded, and it's good, and it's convicting, right? Because so often, I don't check those, those love qualities in my life. But it's there. So it's a good, 1 Corinthians 13 is a good thing to look at and be like, how am I living that out with my spouse? with my kids, with my coworkers, with the strangers um, on the street that are in need, right? But God has defined the purest type of love for us, agape love. I got to see this uh, in action this week from very, one of our very own Greenhouse members. Um, Jake Butterworth, are you, in the, are you in the room? There he is in the back. He's ready to run. He's ready to run. I love it. So Attaway, we do Attaways sometimes, shout outs. Add away to Jake. So Friday morning, we're at men's group, and I had to go. Allie has to get off to school pretty early, so I have to leave early. I ran out, 
And I was trying to grab my keys out of my, my coat, but I couldn't get them out because I had, you know, coffee and my Bible and stuff. So I put those on the, the hood of the car. And, uh, well, I had started it up. I'm trying to remember how this all worked. I started it up, and then I remembered, oh, shoot, I left that stuff on the hood. So I shut my door to squeeze through the truck next to me and uh, actually squeezed past Jake's car next to me. And uh, he was the unlucky one parked next to me. And uh, as I grab my stuff, I go to open it up. I locked myself out. <laughs> Why do cars do that? That was not user error. That was a, a dysfunction from Ford, malfunctioning there. Bad design, very poor quality design by Ford. Um, there we go. Um, so I'm locked out. I'm like, no, I'm already late. I got to get home and watch the girls so that Allie can head off to work. She was already going to be behind and... I'm like, what do I do? So I'm like yanking out. So I'm hoping I don't rip off the door handle off the car. I'm like, desperate. I, I got to go. Nothing, right? It's latched. And so Jake happens to be the next guy walking out. Again, sorry you parked next to me. But being the good servant that he is, he's like, hey, what's going on? You need help? Yes. So I asked him, you know, do you have time? Like, I, I don't want to inconvenience you at all. Um, he's like, absolutely. Um, I got time. So Hopped in his car. He took me all the way from North Saratoga to South Saratoga, um, gave me a ride home. Um, Allie was able to get a ride from a, another good Samaritan, a friend from work. And then Jake, actually, as I was getting the girls out of bed and changed and everything, installed both of the car seats in his car. And, uh, and then we loaded all the girls in there. He actually loaded up Audrey, which was another miracle. <laughs> she allowed that. <laughs> Must be a good dad. Must be a good dad. He, he loads them in there, and then he takes us all the way back up to Starbucks. Um, I remember the keys. I was able to unlock the car. He helps load them back in there, and, uh, and then I gave him a big old hug and told him I loved him and sent him on his way. Um, but I was just struck by that. I hadn't really written any or prepared for the message yet at that point, and I'm like, God, thank you for showing me what sacrificial love looks like. Like, we can read about it. We can, we can talk about it, but then to see it displayed through, through Jake um, was powerful. So, again, shout out to you, Jake. Love is never convenient. It's never comfortable, um, but it's how the world gets to see what Jesus is like. And so the big idea today is that Jesus' glory is expressed through his love for us and our love for others. In a sense, we're kind of called to be like mirrors who reflect God's glory back to the world through love, right? And so as we wrap up today, I'm going to keep it really simple. I'm going to go back to the we've got to know before we do. So challenge us to, to think about this, to know this, to meditate on this. God delights in you. God delights in you. He loves you. He, does, he delights in loving you. Do we believe that? Because that is true. That is in his word. He doesn't have to convince himself to love you. He doesn't blink when you sin and fall short again and you mess up for the 30th time that day. He doesn't waver in love. He delights in loving you. He finds great joy in loving sinners. That's why he was born. So let's meditate on that this week. For some of you, maybe you're like, I haven't ever received 
or, or position myself under God's love. And if this connects with you at all, please find someone. Come talk to me or Jason or, or anybody. Um, and uh, we'd love to continue to, to talk about and express God's love for you and what that means in your life. But if you've, man, I'm struggling to believe that God can love me. What I've done, where I've been, the thoughts that I think, God knows that. And he still loves you. So let's meditate on that this week. Um, whether that's through, um, through solitude or through um, just getting in God's word, through the Advent devotional, just been powerful every morning, building habits of reflecting on God's love. Um, listening to worship music, getting coffee with a friend, whatever it looks like for you to meditate on God's love for you. We need to know that. We need that. We crave that. And then the second part, do this, right? Know first and then do this. Ask God to reveal to you how you can pick up the towel to serve someone this week. There's so much to do and so much to think about this time of the year, right? Calendaring, um, lists, things to do, things to be at, things to think about. But pray that God would reorient your mind and heart to think of others before yourself, to put, to, to put their needs above your own needs. That's hard to do. That's really hard to do. And it's only possible when we know God's love for us. So pray for that. Be ready for opportunities to pour out the love that God has given you because he likes to answer that prayer. He'll put opportunities in front of you and then it's like, oh, why did I pray that prayer? <laughs> right? Uh, put our actions where our words are, right? But be obedient to that. Serve. It'll always make a difference. It'll never return void when we love the world around us. So, leave with that. God delights in loving you, and he wants you to show that with the world. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for, for this morning. I thank you for everyone in this room. Thank you for everyone listening later. And I just thank you for the world that you loved us so much that you sent your son, Jesus, as a baby to reveal agape love, sacrificial, unconditional love. God, you've always delighted in humanity. From, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God and you are love. But God, I thank you that you showed it to us through Jesus. I thank you for the humble form of, of the baby. Thank you for taking on suffering and servanthood and humility and death for us so that we can know the full extent of love. God, I pray that it wouldn't be a concept. I pray that it wouldn't just be a feeling or an emotion um, or a little affection. God, but that we would be fully immersed, fully receiving your love. It's already there, so help us, Lord, to just meditate on that, to receive it, to accept it, and to love you fully in return. Help us to express that by loving others. Give us eyes to see, God. We pray for opportunities. This world is starving. It's hungry for love. God, I pray that you would show us who and when and why, and that we would be obedient, and that we would look different to this world and point people to you through, through that love. God, I thank you so much for, again, just your word and how you use it to grow us, to encourage us, and to challenge us. 
pray this all in your name. Amen.